Australia's vaccine rollout has been a train wreck. Missed deadlines, a lack of transparency, and not to mention expensive. And data published by The Age and Sydney Morning Herald suggests that a third of Australians are hesitant about getting vaccinated. A lack of information and confusing messages about who can get vaccinated, where and when have left everyday Australians reluctant to get the jab. I'm Kat Clay, Head of Digital Communications, and today we have one of Australia's leading health experts on the podcast to tackle Australia's vaccine rollout. Or should we call you a health influencer, Stephen? (laughs) Not sure what the definition of influencer is. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but it depends on if you have an Instagram account, I think. I don't. Well, Stephen is actually the former Secretary of the Commonwealth Department of Health and is our Health Program Director at Grattan. So we're very glad to have you on the podcast today. Pleasure, Kat. Before we dig into Australia's vaccine rollout, you know how some podcasts have ads at the start of their podcast. Well, we've got a short one for you today, and that's for us. You might not know that Grattan Institute is a not-for-profit organisation, and although we began with an endowment that contributes to our annual operating costs, it falls well short of funding the high-quality research and public policy advocacy that we deliver every year. If you'd like to support this podcast and our research work, can I urge you to donate today at grattan.edu.au forward slash donate. So now onto the stuff that you're really here for. Stephen, I think the word we're looking for to describe the vaccine rollout is a schmozzle. The original aim for the rollout was to get everyone vaccinated before October. Yet as of the start of June, only 4.1 million Australians have had their first vaccination and just over 300,000 have been fully vaccinated. What is going on? So, Kat, more or less everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Uh, We didn't buy the right vaccines. We didn't design the program well. We didn't involve the states. We didn't uh, have mass vaccination centres. Then there was some bad luck. Um, AstraZeneca didn't work out to be as good as we thought it might be. So... Um, there's been a series of problems. Uh, if you only had one of those problems, it might have been okay, but we had all of them. And what's interesting is we had a lot of time to prepare. So the first announcements about vaccines were in August when the Prime Minister said, hey, we've bought the vaccines. What happened then is we had a long time to prepare and we didn't start our vaccination program until quite late. Now, I didn't criticise the government for that because I thought, yep, they can take their time. COVID's not circulating in the community. But once they start, plan it well and get it done quickly. That's what we needed to do. Well, we had a double whammy. We started late and we didn't do it well. So Scott Morrison has said that the vaccine rollout is not a race. But with Victoria back in lockdown, don't we need a sense of urgency around this rollout? It was always going to be a race. It was always going to need to be done quickly for a couple of reasons. First of all, there was always a risk of leakage from hotel quarantine. We've had, you know, about five uh, breaches of quarantine for every 100,000 arrivals. So we always knew there was going to be a breach of quarantine. And the breach of South Australian quarantine is why I'm sitting at home in my home office in my T-shirt for this uh, for this uh, podcast. The second thing is we always knew 
there were going to be new variants coming on the on the scene, and that that the the quicker you got the whole population vaccinated, the the less likely it is for these variants to become embedded in the in the population. So you had a couple of reasons right from the start where we needed to do it quickly, and we didn't. I mean, is supply the issue here? With the AstraZeneca vaccine limited to over 50s, has that created delays in the rollout in the need to protect people from potential clotting issues? So there's a couple of elements to your questions there, Kat. The supply is certainly an issue. That is, uh, we we are only producing AstraZeneca in Australia. We're supposed to be producing a million doses a week. I've got no idea how many we actually are producing. That number is not in the public domain. It ought to be. There ought to be more transparency. We're importing Pfizer vaccine. I don't know how many Pfizer doses come in a week. That information also ought to be in the public domain. So we ought to know how many doses there are to distribute so we can work out are we getting enough done and so on. So, and, and, so the, there is a supply constraint. So that's an issue. But you then say, well, hang on, I just gave you an example of two, do, two vaccines. Why didn't I give you an example of a third vaccine, Moderna, for example? Because the government made a choice right at the start, unlike almost every other country in the world, which said every other country in Europe and US and so on, we're going to have eight vaccines we're going to invest our money in. We invested in three. One of them fell over. The UQ vaccine fell over quite early. So we're left with two. And that's why I give you an example of two rather than eight. So that our supply problems are partly of our own creation, partly because of the policy choices we made back in June, July, August. Now, we talk quite a bit about aged care on this podcast, but it It's just this week come to light the inconsistencies in the rollout in aged care. Should vaccinations be mandatory for those in high-risk environments? And should the federal government make aged care workers a priority alongside aged care residents? So back when we set our priorities for vaccinations, we said there was going to be a so-called Group 1A, which was going to be uh, both the people which uh, needed to be protected because they were uh, highly exposed to the vac- to uh, the virus, so hotel quarantine workers and frontline healthcare workers, they were supposed to be in Group 1A. And secondly, people who were highly vulnerable if we had spread of the virus in the community and they were aged care uh, residents, disability residents and aged care workers and disability workers. So, you know, I think that was a reasonable uh, group to be in Group 1A. Um, Somehow or other, Scott Morrison got himself into Group 1A, which was interesting. Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom didn't get himself into that first group. He had his vaccination when he was called up for his vaccination in line with his age group. But anyway, setting that aside, yes, we should have actually said people in aged care facilities were highly vulnerable in 2020. Let's make sure they're vaccinated now and let's make sure aged care workers are vaccinated. Well, the good news is that's actually what the government announced. That's what uh, Minister Hunt said he was going to do. It's going to all be done in uh, within three weeks of his announcement. And so it all should have been done by the end of March. Well, of course, it hasn't been. Not only hasn't been done, but as it turns out, when the minister said we're going to get all the 500,000 aged care residents and aged care workers done, he actually didn't mean that because there was no contract to actually do it. There was a contract to deliver vaccines to aged care residents, but no contract to deliver vaccine to aged care workers. 
So for those outside Victoria, you might not have any COVID where you are and it might just be another day for you and vaccination is far from your mind. So, Stephen, I want to dig in why it's so important for people to get vaccinated right now. So there are a number of reasons, Kat, why it's so important uh, for all of us to be vaccinated as soon as possible. First of all, the virus may be circulating where you are now. You may not know it, but it may be, you know, because we've had, uh, you know, families go up and holiday on the south coast of New South Wales and spread the virus up there. So it, it could well be circulating, may not be. So, yes, there, even though we think there is no risk and so, oh, let's not get vaccinated, there is a risk. Secondly, the sooner we're vaccinated, the sooner our society can go back to a more normal existence. Uh, we can start to have international students, international tourists, um, the stranded Australians can come home, all of those sorts of things. We, we can go and visit people because we're vaccinated uh, more safely overseas, etc., etc. So there's a whole lot of reasons why it's good for us socially and good for us as an economy to actually be a bit more open and to start to open our borders. We can't start to open the borders until we've got a lot of a much greater level of protection for people in in Australia in case the vac in case the virus uh, comes comes in through uh, international students returning Australians etc. So getting vaccinated is not just about oh feeling comfortable going down to the shops and having a nice meat pie or something like that. It actually has a huge economic impact on Australia and also an impact on the people who are stranded overseas. So Kat, it, it's two reasons. The reason I'm vaccinated is partly to protect me. Uh, that is, uh, the virus is circulating in Victoria, and so it's helpful for me to, to that, that we know that what the vaccine does is definitely uh, mean that if I get uh, infected that my chances of uh, serious illness or death are much lower. That's very, very, that's what the randomised control trials show. And also it's part of a solidarity with the whole community that the more people in the community who are vaccinated, the better it is for the whole society. I was going to ask you, Stephen, had you got vaccinated, what was your experience like there? I had my first dose vaccinated with the AstraZeneca vaccine. I didn't have any reaction to it whatsoever. So I've, my arm is not sore. Um, so I've, I'm quite comfortable. One of the questions we've heard a bit of is why can't we open up vaccinations for all adults? We seem to have the supplies available. I think now we've got the supply of AstraZeneca. I mean, as I said, we're supposed to be producing a million a week. And so we ought to have that available. We ought to be, we might have been holding back some vaccines to, to ensure their supply of second doses. That's not an issue with AstraZeneca. So we ought to be making sure that everybody over 50 uh, is able to be vaccinated tomorrow. I mean, there's uh, distribution issues. But interestingly, uh, on on uh, the 31st of May, uh, which was a bank holiday in England, there was one centre, Twickenham Stadium, which did 15,000 doses in one day at one centre. Now, there's no particular reason we couldn't be doing 15,000 doses in one day here in Australia. And we're not. The total number of vaccinations in a single day in Australia is, <laughs> is what, three times that for the whole of the country. So, um, you know, we, we can organise and should be organising much better for much and doing it much quicker. What's happening now in Victoria is uh, people are turning up for vaccinations and GPs are running out of vaccines because uh, the government hasn't got the supply chain of uh, vaccines to 
uh, GPs properly organised. So, uh, so AstraZeneca, I think we're okay, and we should be doing lots of that very, very quickly. Pfizer, which is the only other one we've got in Australia at the moment, uh, is is still in short supply. Again, the contracts weren't written to get more of that into the country. And so I think we can't actually go too quickly. We can't actually expand it to more people um, very quickly because of those supply issues. Now, Stephen, I want to dig a little bit into this idea of vaccine hesitancy because I think there are people out in the community who have genuine concerns or perhaps don't know enough about the vaccine to feel confident to get it. One of the things I noticed that I recently received a message from the Department of Health to get tested if I'd had symptoms and I'd been to Footscray Market. But what surprised me, though, is that I didn't also receive the message in Vietnamese. That could have been a very easy win, I felt. Australia is a culturally diverse country. How do we lift vaccination rates in culturally and linguistically diverse communities? As you point out, Australia is culturally and linguistically diverse and and the vaccine hesitancy and the strategies to address vaccine hesitancy are different in different communities and in different segments of the population. So in the first instance, let's talk about uh, culturally and linguistically diverse communities. Uh, First of all, we have to, as you point out, have to be actually advertising, discussing, promoting in the relevant language. Secondly, we need to be engaging with the leaders of those communities, trusted figures within those communities, to actually say, you know, this is something that you ought to be doing and it's good for our community. Because, you know, there are some communities who might feel, oh, look, this is just the government. You know, we've got all these stupid stories about 5G towers and goodness goodness knows what else. But, you know, they, they those stories, not the same stories, but similar stories might be circulating in those communities. So we've got to actually engage the community leaders, engage the community itself, to develop the, the strategies, and we've got to make vaccination easy. That is, you say well, we're going to have a vaccination van outside this housing estate this week and it's going to be staffed by people or have interpret translators, interpreters and translators there. You might have uh, staff who actually speak Vietnamese or Arabic or whatever it is. And so you've got, to, you've got to have a specific strategy for each community. It's not one size fits all. Secondly, you know, there are multiple reasons why there's been vaccine hesitancy. One of them was... Uh, COVID's not circulating in the community, therefore, you know, what's the point? Well, of course, in Victoria, that that has that argument has just been blown out of the water and we're getting overwhelmed by people wanting to be vaccinated in, a, in Victoria. And so, you know, you address those different arguments and people might say, uh, for example, I'm, I'm worried about clots. Well, as it turns out, that, that the rate of clotting was vanishingly small, one person out of a couple of million. I mean, it, it is in Australia, it is. But so you've got to actually engage with the community and talk to them about these risks as are not what the media has hyped them up to be. Yeah, and I think that's part of the remit of Grattan is engaging with the facts and the evidence here and really laying that out on the table. I really liked that idea that you mentioned of the vaccination bus. I mean, it's worked in other health areas, I think, especially in things like cancer screening. You know, there is a huge opportunity there to target um, groups with culturally diverse and linguistically diverse groups. So I think that's a great idea. So I want to speak us of the motivation as well, because the hesitancy could be overcome by other incentives. 
um, it was interesting to see Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, offer travel incentives for people getting vaccinated. Are incentives a good thing? And, and what could businesses and governments be doing more of here? The issue with vaccine hesitancy is people are making a judgment the benefit isn't worth the cost. Well, as it turns out, the benefit is for themselves specifically uh, worth it because they are at risk while the vaccine, while the virus might uh, break out of hotel quarantine and so on. But you might also change it with with incentives. I wouldn't go with incentives uh, at this stage, um, but you might. Um, I, I don't think. I don't think we are truly aware yet of what uh, the level of vaccine hesitancy really is, because at the moment, you know, if you if you said had a big advertising campaign which said get vaccinated, well, we actually don't have the vaccines, and so people were one of the reasons for vaccine hesitancy in these surveys is the vaccines aren't available, so I just can wait, sort of thing. So. You know, you need to actually have fixed the vaccination program up before you actually do the advertising and the incentives. And then you say, okay, well, let's see what is the rate of vaccinations in the community before you actually uh, introduce um, incentives. Now, if someone like Alan Qantas wants to get up and say, we'll give you uh, double points, for example, if you show that you're vaccinated uh, when you fly, that, that might be good business model for Qantas because flights are low, you know, down, people aren't travelling, et cetera, et cetera. So they might say, yeah, that's a great thing for us as a business uh, investment for us and we look good, we get credit for that. I don't think the government should pay for it, um, but I think, you know, if, he's, if Qantas wants, if thinks it's a good idea, you know, I'll put my hand up and say, here's my uh, certificate, I've been vaccinated, uh, give me double points. So there are things like that. Where, as I said, where the government should do it, I don't know. But if you think about it, uh, not only is there a benefit for us in terms of our health, but the more people are vaccinated, the more likely it's, the less likely its borders are going to be closed and so on, and the more we might be able to travel. I live for that day. One of the questions I had from a member of our staff was that given the health services are generally poorer in regional and rural areas, uh, one of the things they wanted to know was what do we know about how the rollout is going on in those areas? Again, Kat, we don't have very good information about uh, any aspect of the vaccine rollout. Uh, we know in total how many people are vaccinated. We know in total by state how many people have been vaccinated. We don't have those figures broken up by regions. I've got a couple of friends who have told me they're vaccinated and there's no waiting list in Bendigo and things like that. So in some parts of Victoria, I know it's working well, but I cannot give you a number for by region across Australia. I do know that some Aboriginal communities, a high level of hesitancy, so it, it varies, I think. Just digging into that a little bit, because you've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, is the lack of information because the government aren't sharing that information? Is there a lack of transparency here that we need to address? I think uh, the whole COVID response has been, uh, has, the, the, the transparency has been a problem both from states and uh, the Commonwealth. We were heavily critical of Victoria uh, for its lack of transparency in 2020 about what was actually happening um, and you know, things like the waiting times for pathology tests and so on. So uh, it, it actually has been really poor in terms of public management uh, of, of, and transparency and accountability. But certainly 
with the vaccine rollout, there's, as I said, there is some basic information we ought to know. How many how many doses are available and released every week? How many of those get into arms? What is our plan? You know, when do how many would we expect to release and so on? What's going to be happening next week? So there's a and as we just talked about, information by region, information by gender, information by age. You know, they ought to have this information. So when I got vaccinated, they had my, my it automatically goes into the my gov into the immunisation register so they know my age, my gender, my postcode. So this could automatically be uh, calculated and uh, summary information produced once a week or something like that. It doesn't cost, doesn't take anybody any time to do it because the computer can do it. What's interesting is what we've just heard about with aged care is you know, they don't even know how many aged care workers have been vaccinated, even though they're in 1A. I mean, it it's really is... Uh, uh, tragic. So it leads me to what might be quite a big question, but I'm sure you might have some opinions on this, Stephen. What should the federal government be doing right now to fix the vaccination rollout? The first issue is to actually say, this is what's happening right now. Actually come clean about how many doses are being produced, how many are coming into the country and so on. So be much more, trans- so just address the transparency so we can see what is actually happening. And then we can actually start to diagnose what the problems are and the community can be engaged in the diagnosis. And so that's the first issue. The second issue is once you identify what the problems are, what are the communities where there's hesitancy? Have we have we rolled it out adequately across the whole country, regionally, every state and all those sorts of things? Then we can say, this is what a vaccine plan looks like, a vaccination plan looks like, and this is what we're doing about it. But at the moment, we've got no targets, no numbers, no plan, and surprise, surprise, it's a train wreck. So one last question for you, Stephen. What would you say to our listeners who are considering getting vaccinated? I would say, why aren't you vaccinated already if you're over 50? And if you're under 50, get vaccinated as soon as you get called up. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your insight into the vaccine rollout. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for quite some time about this topic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your favourite podcasting app and leave us a rating or review. You can also continue the conversation with us on social media, on Twitter at Grattan Inst and all other social networks at Grattan Institute. As always, please take care and thanks so much for listening.